Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. Governor Doug Burgum was on the stage last night. He joins me now. Good morning, Governor. How are you? Good morning, Hugh. Great to be with you. Now, I have got my wife's best friend has torn two Achilles tendons playing basketball. And I know you did that two nights ago. And the first thing I want to know, and the most important thing, is your wife mad at you for doing that? Uh, she was uh, very understanding, I'd say, beyond beyond human expectation. Uh, she knew, she knows I love playing, and uh, she didn't even give me that glance of, uh, hey, I told you so, maybe this wasn't a great idea right before this debate. Well, Governor, i got to ask you, you're my age. What in the world are you doing playing back? It's like that is not the game for people our age. I mean, we can go out and golf, run, swim, do all, but you're jumping up and down. What in the world are you doing? Well, Hugh, I've played basketball my whole life, and uh, it's a great way to unwind. And and my son, my 30-year-old son was there, and we uh, had some gym space at a local university that has a great basketball program. I thought it would be kind of historic to, you know, shoot around there and we're <laughs> Have, You're have definitely the first guy with a torn Achilles tendon in a Republican presidential debate. I got to tell you that. <laughs> Governor, I want to ask you about, yeah, everyone's got a million debate stories. I've, I've moderated four of those things, and I got 20 stories out of each of them. So I want to know, first of all, it's kind of a rodeo, but it's not your first rodeo. You're from North Dakota, after all. What'd you think of the whole Lollapalooza debate stuff? Well, I'd say, you, uh, honest assessment, it, it, it took me through the first 30 minute segment to figure out that no one was going to follow any of the rules that we've been told ahead of time. Uh, so it, it was, uh, you know, barely get a word in edgewise, but then we fought our way back and staying with a sports analogy. I felt like we won the fourth quarter. We finally got into some substance. There was a lot, there was a lot of noise and uh, I don't think enough signal uh, for the American public, for the voters that are trying to decide. And, and also we've got these huge issues. China is a massive issue. Uh, we've got, every, you know, we're, we're in a cold war with China and we're in this war with Russia. And I just felt we didn't spend enough time on that. And of course, as you know, I feel these things are completely and totally tied to both our economy and the Biden energy policies, which are 180 degrees in the wrong direction. Now, Governor, you got to be honest with me here and tell me what you think of Vivek, because I call it the Vivek debate. He's got a thousand spears in him, but he basically won the attention game. And there are two games. Do, do you persuade people to support you for president in Iowa and New Hampshire? And do you win the attention game and get uh, small donors? Vivek got a lot of attention, but you've done what he did. You succeeded in business far beyond what he did. You built this company, which nobody knows about because they didn't have any time to do bio last night. What are you thinking about when you watch all the attention to Vivek and you're standing over on the other end saying, well, I did all that and then I run a state for seven years? Well, yeah, I mean, it's just it's just interesting because I, I think the, you know, as someone that came from the outside into government, uh, I think there's real benefit because coming in as an outsider, uh, particularly with the background I had, which actually had to do with business operations and with, you know, the the business processes that allow you to serve customers better with less inputs. And I'm saying that because that's what government does. I mean, we said in North Dakota, we're going to treat the taxpayers like customers. And we came in and we took one point. $7 billion out of a $6 billion budget, you know, 27% cut, and all the trains ran on time. So there's business guys, and then there's business guys that have been in other business, whether it's, you know, real estate or biotech. It's not the same as someone who's, you know, all of our customers were small business, all of our partners were small businesses. And then at the end, I was at a chance to run really large businesses at scale. And there's just so much of that that's directly applicable 
to what's going on. And so when I, you know, when I hear someone say, hey, they're going to cut the Department of Education, which I would too, but that's 4,000 out of 2 million employees. It's the real win is taking 20% out of every job. It's not shooting a department in the head. It's going in and saying the whole thing is inefficient. I mean, I met some guys again last night. And I said, uh, you know, I was being interviewed in the in the spin room, and I said, how many how many apps do you think you have in your phone? And you know, most people would say 150 or more. I said, do you have any apps from the federal government? And they're all like, uh, no, I don't. I mean, so it's like there's this, the way that people are interacting and using technology today with a supercomputer in their pocket. They don't even think like, why why am I not relating to government this way? So do you know what I, I can't understand, so Governor? Cool. I'm going to put a bug in your ear. Uh, we have allegedly a teacher's crisis in America. We allegedly have a teacher. We don't have enough teachers. They can't find jobs. Districts are scrambling. Why isn't the Department of Education running one website that says, here's every vacancy in America. Here's what the class is. Here's what you'll be paid. And here are the coaching duties you can take on. Will you call this person and get your application in? Why do we not have that? This is like 2024. Exactly, Hugh. Exactly. And this is the kind of thing where if you coming from the private sector where, where I was working and then coming into government, these kinds of opportunities are laying on the ground. This is like fruit that's fallen off the tree. You can attack in any direction with a hundred ideas like this that cost very little that actually make government more efficient. So I, you're, you're spot on. Now, can I do you mind if I quiz you a little bit? Because we didn't get to the commander in chief test last night. Okay, the commander-in-chief test, which Chairman Mike Gallagher of the Select Committee on China says, this is the most important thing about debates, which is, do you learn anything about how someone will will react on 9-11? W was magnificent on 9-11. He was even better uh, when we meet in the middle moment of our grief at the National Cathedral. There are times that you need the commander-in-chief to go into the situation room, bark at people, get down to six. I'm reading a biography of Nimitz, and he really was a commander-in-chief of the, the fleet at full tide. So I'd like to know whether you can do this. And it's not intended to ambush you. I'd just like to know if you're up to speed on this stuff. Is it okay with you? Uh, Sure. Why did we collapse in Kabul? What went wrong in the last, two years ago, greatest foreign policy fiasco of my lifetime occurred, and that includes Vietnam in Kabul. What what happened there in your view? Well, I I think one thing was a failure of intelligence because, you know, as much as, you know, Biden was just saying, hey, we've got to get out of here and I've got a date in mind, which is the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And I think I'm going to win some political points by getting out by that time. You know, I'm sure he had some people that told him, hey, if you do this, you know, the Taliban is going to just stay in the country. They're not going to come in. You know, Bagram Air Force Base will be fine. I mean, it was a massive, massive uh, failure. It had to be a whole series of people, but him in particular. And this one offends me personally. We were getting ready for the 20th anniversary of 9-11 as the commander-in-chief of the North Dakota National Guard, we had lost 29 lives during the war on terror. So we had invited all the Gold Star mothers to come to an event that was coming up. So two weeks before that, then Biden's doing this you know, atrocious withdrawal, costing us tens of billions of dollars, opening up the way for China to come in like the next week and start taking over uh, rare earth mineral development in Afghanistan to further, you know, build themselves as the, you know, the EV battery superpower of the world that Biden wants to buy all the batteries for our EVs that we're subsidizing from. And then what do you say? These gold star mothers are like, look, we thought that our son died for a cause that mattered. That's what their belief was. Biden shattered that. By these, 
it, it is unforgivable what he did to all of those families. And this is just one little lens of that in our small state where these North Dakota National Guard troops on active duty, you know, died, died in Afghanistan. And then, and then, and then he does this. I mean, it's just unthinkable to me. Uh, Governor, have you had a chance? I don't know. You're on the road a lot. I don't know if you have a chance to read, but if you can read one book, I hope it's this one Cobble by Jerry Dunlavey and James Hassan. Have you heard about it yet? I haven't, but I'll uh, write it down right now. Yeah, Cobble, it's on bestseller list. It just came out two weeks ago, and it is the definitive account of the fiasco that is Joe Biden's. I mean, the reason he cannot be president again is because he just, he simply, as Robert Gates said, he hadn't been right in 50 years on any major issue of foreign affairs. Let me ask you about the suicide problem. Are you familiar with the fact that 30,000 vets of the 20-year war have taken their own life upon the return to the United States? What is going on there, and what would you do as the commander-in-chief to stop that? Well, this is a something we've put a huge amount of attention in uh, in North Dakota, but I know nationally. I mean, to get to the number you're talking about, I think it it tracks. You know, sadly, you know, today, you know, today is uh, Thursday. There'll be another 22 veterans that complete suicide today. Uh, you know, that's what sort of the running tally is, and this has to be a full on, a, you know, a full on effort. I mean, we have a mental health crisis in America. We spend $4 trillion on health care, but it's not really health care. We spend it on sick care primarily, and most of that, you know, the last six months, end of life. And we're not doing anything on the preventative side, and we really don't treat mental or behavioral health sometimes as a health issue. It's like, you know, suck it up, you're going to be fine kind of approach. And we just have to completely flip it where we're, you know, it's much more effective to spend the dollars upstream on prevention and education than it is, spending it when we've got people in an acute crisis he's on the back end you know you won't be able to build enough behavioral health hospitals but we've got to we got to move those dollars upstream and and then and part of it then again is community awareness it's leadership uh, in North Dakota National Guard making sure that everybody understands the the uh, the signals and then also changing the stigma and this is something the first lady who's uh, she struggled with addiction for over two decades has been in recovery and now as first lady of North Dakota has been courageous in sharing her story of addiction and recovery because we have to have, we have to normalize the conversation. If you think that, you know, mental health, behavioral health and addiction, which are often co-occurring and they're, they're co-occurring almost a hundred percent among homeless, that if people are want to, you know, hide in the closet about the fact that they, they're dealing with the disease of addiction, which is a brain disease, we know that now, then they don't get treatment. You know, if someone's got diabetes, they get treated. If they have cancer, you get treated. If someone's got a mental or behavioral health issue, and then they hide it even from their family members. And so if people, are, if the stigma is so high, we can't even treat it. So across the board, we need a different approach. And it's, uh, you know, and, and it's related, you know, some of this is 70% of the overdose deaths under Biden. Biden, we've had four Vietnam's worth of deaths that have occurred just in the time that Biden's been in office of overdoses in this country. And they, the, but 70% of those were fentanyl poisoning. So some of those aren't overdoses the way we think about a, an addict that was, you know, dealing with addiction, that was trying to get treatment and then, you know, couldn't get over the hump. Some of this is, is the people that, you know, they buy one Percocet on the street for 30 bucks and it's got fentanyl in it. I, I know of someone who did that. I know, I, I, I know a grieving family from that. One, one yeah. pill, one pill. Governor, now we've spent more time talking and I want to keep you after the break to, to, to land this plane. So if the music comes up, don't go anywhere. Give me five more minutes. 
Neither of these issues came up last night. The collapse in Afghanistan and the suicide among veterans, neither of them came up. That is a feature, not a bug, of presidential debates. How would you fix presidential debates? Because Brett and Martha are the best, they're the equal of anyone. But there's not, there isn't any time or seriousness. No, there's none. And that's why I said earlier, it's, you know, a lot of noise, not much signal. And I think it's, I'm, you know, I'm sad for the American public because I feel like in some cases, uh, you know, people are, uh, you know, what, I don't know why we call them a debate. I mean, call it political theater, call it what it is, but these are not serious policy discussions. I will come right back. I'm going to spend five more minutes with the governor off the air and I'll play it later in the show. Don't go anywhere, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. So, Governor Burgum, uh, we'll play this later in the show. My last question is, I don't know what the rules are for round two. Uh, do you know if you have a qualified for round two? We've qualified for everything. There was uh, 50,000 donors. There was uh, above a certain polling threshold in uh, primary states and then also uh, a national poll threshold number. And we've qualified for everything, but we need to get above 3% a national poll. And do you think you'll make that? Yeah, absolutely, we will. All right. Now, if that is the case, how would you like the format to change? Uh, for example, should there be an audience in the room? Should there be one moderator as opposed to two? Should there be three instead of two? How would you, Doug Burgum, as a businessman and executive, and your credentials are stellar, but you're not going to survive three rounds with those rules? No, well, I, I well, I, I'm certainly intending on surviving, but I think that, you know, I'm, I'm focused more on, on the, the voters, more on the American public. I mean, they need to actually uh, have an opportunity to hear the kinds of questions that you're asking, Hugh. I mean, that your commander chief questions and others. And as you noted, I mean, you got, I got more time to cover those two topics than the entire eight of us did uh, last night. So in, in terms, I think the live audience, uh, you know, again, when you're, when you're just chasing cable ratings, then, you know, live audience maybe adds something uh, to that. But, of course, then you have all the issues of people stacking the audience, doing different things. I think it was difficult sometimes uh, for, I know for sure, people in the audience, and sometimes I think for the, for the candidates on the stage to be even able to hear when the, when the moderators were asking questions over the top of uh, trying to keep things going when people are yelling. So that, that you know, that, again, is all you know, political theater may be interesting, but it's not not helping advance anybody's understanding of the key issues. You know, so my last question, do you think we're serious that, about electing the best person to be president of the United States Are we, as well, a country? I'm not talking about Fox News. I'm not talking about radio and television or the spin room. As a country, are we serious about this? I, I would have to say that that there's been a mis, or there's a misconception about what it takes to actually do the job. You understand it. Uh, you saw it under President Nixon, President Reagan. Uh, you've been there. You've been in the room. You understand what it takes to do that. And I think that we're, you know, some of these things are not just popularity contests. We've, you know, moved in this era of celebrity presidents. And, and there is a, a disconnect uh, from an understanding or a process. And I think, you know, e neither party has got a process which is delivering. And all you have to say is, look, if you have a country of 340 million people and then, and then I'll call, say eight people applied or 12 people applied for the job. And when I was in the private sector, if we had the most important job in a company, like if I was chairman of the board and we're hiring a CEO and, and we had you know a dozen people applied and some of them weren't qualified, we'd repost. We'd be like, whoa, did we forget to advertise in the right places? You know, we should have a, a bigger pool. 
So I, I think there's a candidate a candidate quality and a candidate size pool where people have this, the narrative is, is like, oh, this is a really crowded field, but oh my goodness, this is the most important job in the world. And, and you're, you know, when I'm standing up there last night, I'm like, absolutely, I belong on this stage and I, and we're going to keep fighting to make sure we win this job. Governor, keep coming back. I appreciate the time this morning and I hope the injury heals. Put down the basketball, Governor, because you don't want the second <laughs> one to go. Uh, great to have you. Thank you, Governor. Thank you, Hugh.